0: Hey, this is Denez, And this is Franny. And you're listening to Roll Call, a Versus special series on the past, future, and present of Black poetry and poetics. Yes, this is episode four in the special six-part series happening between seasons five and six of Versus, between when Denez and I leave as hosts and when the new hosts of Versus come in. And we're so excited um, to listen to this episode. So this one is on Black Time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. This is called Black Time Versus the Deja Vu, hosted by Gabriel Civil and produced by Tyree Rush. I would say this is the perfect one to, like, you know maybe hit the blunt once or twice on beforehand you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right i guess you know yeah sure i guess i don't know why i just became a teacher in the I became, like a to... middle school teacher today <laughs> <Yes. laughs>
1: <laughs> i don't know why when i have literally have edibles in this desk drawer but please go ahead okay
0: <laughs> no, I do think I do think this is the one to like, you know, open up your mind a little bit, uh, Freddie. I was reminded a lot of our conversations with a lot of poets that felt really mind-expanding like Jamal May or like Chris Abani Listen to this. This is a conversation about how the concept of the deja vu as Gabrielle theorizes it interacts with Black folks and Black creators and how we experience and write about and through time. Um, And also I think Tyree just sort of snapped on the um, audio production. It is so cool to listen to. It's very trippy. That's why I said you can hit the blunt, right? Because it, it, it takes you there, right? Uh, Let your mind be free a little bit um, and get into a really cool conversation, a podcast that also dips a lot into performance in some really cool ways um, with Gabrielle Civil. And this is Black Time versus the Deja Vu.
2: I'm grateful that she was around all that time. But the time that I spent with them is now... Becoming a memory that I'm trying to turn into words.
3: Black time, 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 time, black time, black time, black time, black time, black time, black time. I want to take advantage of time. I want to claim time. I want to activate myself in time. I want to allow somatic connection time what is beautiful and to allow for time to cultivate the wild within myself time and space as a form of time deep velvety blackness the texture of the most black red rose petals Hey, I'm Gabrielle Seville, I'm a black feminist poet and performance artist, and this is a special episode of Versus Roll Call on my current obsession, the slippery nature of black time, time, time. What exactly is black time? Black time is never ending, is this pandemic, is taking a long time, is what we make not what we have, is what happens if we take our time, is what happens when time takes us back, is what happens when time takes us back, is flashbacks and flash forwards, is time and time again. Black time isn't fixed or just one thing. Black time can be a lot of things. It's the way black folks live memory across the diaspora, how we express time, how we make history past the time and dream the future in our poetry, in our lives and creative acts. Black Time for me is about generational cycles, fledglings and elders, the poetry of how we pass things on or don't, how we make things happen, how the same things keep happening, two steps forward, two steps back, oppression and resistance, the changing same, or what I call the déjà vu. Here's a little of what I call the déjà vu. 1. The Deja Vu is not, not a strip club in Ypsilanti. 2. This is to say when you tell your sister Yolen that the name of your next book is The Deja Vu, and she laughs and says, Herman says, isn't The Deja Vu a strip club in Ypsilanti? Herman is her husband, and we won't get into how he and his brothers might know about this club. You just laugh and say back, 3, that maybe it is. 3 that maybe it is. Three, that maybe it is. Ten, mining experiential echoes. Black creatives have long been mining experiential echoes in Black time. If you haven't read Octavia Butler's novels, Kindred, or Parable of the Sower, you're in for something good. While you're at it, check out Black Quantum Futurism's amazing art projects absorb Alexis Pauline Gumbs's extraordinary M-Archive, or listen to Nikki Giovanni's ego-tripping on repeat. I was born in the Congo. I walked to the Fertile Crescent and built- I was born in the Congo. I walked to the Fertile Crescent and built deep Steeped in all this, I decided to embark on my own quest in black time. Join me as I talk to some black poets and thought leaders in my own life, about what black time has meant or might mean to them.
2: She is a descriptive term sitting on stoops too tired to walk. Experience has shaded her youthful poetry. Time waits on corners watered by bloods and dogs.
3: That's Rashida Ismaili, acclaimed poet, playwright, and fiction writer reading from her poem, Harlem Nuances, from her collection, Cantata for Jimmy. When I first thought of Black Time, I thought of this poem, and really I thought of her. Born and raised in Benin, Rashida has lived in Harlem for decades. She was active in the Black Arts Movement and a founding member of the Organization of Women Writers of Africa. Rashida is a true fountain of memory.
2: She knew Everybody. These were the people that I met when I went to Paul Marshall's. Rosa Gee, Louise Merriweather, um, Maya Angelou. They were inspirational. They were so sophisticated. They did things that I I wouldn't do, I couldn't do. I mean, like drinking and smoking. But it wasn't just because they drank and smoked that I thought they were sophisticated. It was the whole thing. The way they presented themselves, I mean, they dressed like how I want. You know what I mean? Like, this is who I am. Maya would walk in, and I mean, she's already like six foot. She was wearing high heels, you know, long before uh, this big uh, stiletto things that people are walking around on now. God knows how they walk. Um, And she'd come in, and she said, Paul open the windows, I'm taking off my shoes. <laughs> and she took off my shoes. <laughs> they were very loyal to each other and they were very political. Rose, Rosa was the one who mounted the um, protests at the UN when Lumumba was assassinated. I mean, she was fearless. They climbed out on the ledge and dropped the banner. Again, from the poem
3: Harlem Nuance.
2: Sometimes at night she thinks she hears the sounds history has recorded. Her lights are out. The current is dead. Candles have ways with forms. Now that I'm old and I have an expanse of memory, a lot of my, my friends who've been on this life journey with me have died. Paul Marshall, she died at 90, Burnett, Goldson, Ford. She was 70, and she died of breast cancer. And, And so now that I'm older, well, I look at, say, Bernie, who dies at 70, but all the things that she was able to do in the 40 years that I knew her, I don't see young black women going into publishing for young readers with the passion that she had. And so I worry about the continuity of time. What's going to happen to all the work that she did? So, Ms. Rashida, when you think of Black time, what do you think of? When I think of Black time, I think of how Africans, and, and especially in the diaspora, it's very interesting how we continue and how we conceive of time and ourselves in that. It isn't just the collection of experiences or aging. It's more than a collection. It's a gathering of all the things known and unknown that are part of who and what we are, whether we know it or not, whether we understand it or not. I think about Baldwin, for whom this collection of poems was written, I met him at Paul Marshall's house. She had met him when she went to France. He was there, always had a cigarette. He had a cigarette like this and a glass like that. And it was always smoking and sipping, smoking and sipping. And one time he said something. He said, my soul looks back and wonder how it got over. And and Audre Lorde used to say, you don't understand. We are victorious because we weren't supposed to be here. We were not supposed to survive. When I think
3: of Black time, I think of my younger self. Ms. Rashida, what did you know or not know when you were younger? What did you not understand?
2: I think that the younger me did not know how to navigate the male female man-woman socializing situation and I always blamed myself. I thought and I'm thinking of one person in particular. I really, really, um, I really like that person. And the person never showed any interest in me. And then one time I was at a poetry reading and he gets up and makes this announcement I dedicate this reading to the woman, to a woman I've always loved, and it's me. Heather, why didn't you say that twenty-five years ago? (laughs) He's dead now, but that's okay. He died. He died two years ago. But oh God, I thought he was. Oh, I had such a crush on him. He was. He was exactly what I loved. He was tall. I mean, extremely tall very very black and smooth He was an african-american oh my god just palpitations of the heart nervous stomach the whole thing when i hear miss rashida
3: talk about her crush i can see her as a girl a young woman wishing this tall black smooth african-american would love her I can hear that youthful heart still beating in the voice of the elder speaking to me today. And I think how we all carry within ourselves those earlier moments, those earlier versions of ourselves. This reminds me of the end of Miss Washita's poem Harlem Nuances. She will rise one day on new legs with fresh skin, then dance down to the river, waving her young one's home.
2: The story is locked in beads and braids. She will rise one day on new legs with fresh skin, then dance down to the river, waving her young one's home. (laughs)
3: Dear Gabby, I've been thinking about you a lot lately. Well, cowering a little at your judgment. Am I ruining it? Being a grown-up? Some of the things I do I know would meet your approval. I make money and have sex, although not enough of either. Yesterday, in the middle of the day, I felt so worn out by the white school that I drove, exclamation point, to the grocery store in my own car, exclamation point, with my coat over my pajamas, something mother would never approve of in a million years, and bought a whole bag of cheddar kettle chips and then slipped back into the house and under the covers and ate them all, alternating between reading Shapeshifters and watching Hulu, which doesn't exist for you now, but which you will greatly come to enjoy. This is all something you would do or rather would have wanted to do all those years when you felt worn out by the white school but couldn't drive and dreamed and worried about it and depended on other people to take you places when you knew so much where you wanted to go. Where did you wanna go? Everywhere, the peaks of the snowy White Alps in a Nestle commercial, pretty word places like Montparnasse and Beijing, far away cold places like Alaska. You would threaten our mother, I'm going to Alaska for college. Such imagination for white places when what you really wanted was to go to a party, to have your hair done, pressed and curled, with no rain out, no frizz, no rain scarf, and have it stay, to be put together, or at least to look that way. I've managed that, well, at least most of the time. Okay, some of the time. It's those furtive, fugitive moments where you come back to me. In a bodega, what we called the party store in Detroit, when I'm standing next to the candy and see the bubbleicious and now-laters, I think of you now and later. You were such a good girl. You obeyed. When you first read a song in the front yard by Gwendolyn Brooks, you knew it was about you. And I see you there running your fingers across the spines in the front yard. And I love and miss you so much, even as I know you're still right here. Then, another dream One hard winter, Gabby, in the faraway, cold place where I used to live, my friend Ellen told me that you came to her in a dream. You know Ellen, the tall white lady who ended up the mother of a black girl of her own. She told me that she saw you on a playground and that you stepped away for a minute to transmit a message. You said to her, when you see me, Tell her I said you have time when you see me. Tell her I said you have time
4: when you see me. Tell her you have
3: time. Time black. 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 Do you remember this conversation?
1: I do. I remember you, but I don't. I mean, I'm an academic. You know, we're always shooting off our mouths.
3: That's Dr. Michelle M. Wright, a professor of English at Emory University. Michelle is a perfect person to consult on the nature of black time, as she's the author of Physics of Blackness, Beyond the Middle Passage Epistemology. Michelle is brilliant. Her work offers new insights into formulations of black identity, history, and time. Along with being an accomplished scholar, Michelle also played a pivotal role in my life. And you encouraged me and you said, oh yeah. You were like, you need to, you were just like, if you have any interest in this at all, you should might as well just apply and see what happens. And the rest is history. That's actually one of the things I wanted to talk to Michelle about. If Ms. Rashida's memories were one way to think about black time, Michelle's take on black history becomes another. To be clear, Michelle isn't exactly a proponent of the concept of Black time.
1: I'm always really hesitant to say that there is a Black time, because I worry that that moves us back into this homogenous notion of Blackness. And all Black people live in a time space that's behind white folk.
3: Michelle doesn't believe in a singular reductive notion of Blackness. And to keep it real, neither do I. Michelle, though, connects this problem of a singular reductive notion of Blackness to depictions of Blackness and history.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, We tend to think of Blackness as a historical identity when we're forced to define it. And that makes sense, right? It's like, how do we know that you and I are both African American? We think immediately to the enslaved past or perhaps a more recent past of civil rights, black power. And we see all those historical events as having informed our identity. And in many ways, when we're reacting to or protesting racism or you know, engaging with an ally, it's the politics that came out of those historical events and the philosophical arguments that came out of it that get us thinking about what is black and what is not black, what is problematic and what is not problematic. So on the surface, it all looks good. Like, that, okay, that, that, that works, that's great. But the moment you start arguing that and you start thinking about historical depictions of blackness, if you're queer, if you're female, if you come from the Caribbean and perhaps your family emigrated in the 1920s or late 19th century or two months ago, you start to feel that you're beginning to be left out of some of these histories, which is why we have all these books on black feminist history, black queer history, because we're left out of those timelines. The the problem is the way that we think of history and the way that we think of time. And it's so striking because it's how we assume time works, right? You are trying to teach a class, you draw a line on the chalkboard, and then you start marking off names and dates. People know exactly what you're doing and you're communicating all this amazingly complex, history all at once so you can understand why we have linear timelines but then you get this question of okay one who says (laughs) who says that time moves forward right okay like you've got a clock time's moving forward but also remember the clock is circular so time is is going in circles we don't move through our life going forward we would like to believe that time is naturally progressive but we all have we can look at our our own timelines of our own lives and see You know, maybe we peaked in high school, you know, and it's been a struggle since then. So this progress narrative doesn't really work.
3: How old are you? Six. What is your favorite thing about being six?
4: Um, I don't really know. I just really like being six. That's
3: Naima Hinchcliffe Essie, the daughter of my friends Juma and Ellen. Ellen was the one who conveyed the message to me from my younger self in a dream. A tall white lady, Ellen ended up the mother of a black girl of her own. Naima is that black girl. I figured if I was talking to black creative thought leaders about black time, Naima would be an excellent choice. She's smart, joyful, and believes in black girl magic. When we talked, she really liked being six, although she was also looking forward to her seventh birthday. When I asked her why, she answered with great wisdom, presence. I asked her some other questions. Do you have a favorite memory?
4: The time me and grandpa went to get ice cream. Grandpa got chocolate, I got raspberry chocolate chip.
3: Have you thought about what you might want to be when you grow up?
4: I would like to be a rock star. And I would like to be a pianist. And I would like to be a singer. And I'd like to be a swimmer and a dancer. And I also wanna be a friend. I've been helping my, my neighbor raise butterflies. Well we find the eggs and then take care of them till they turn into butterflies.
3: Naima, do you know how to tell time?
4: A little I I've been learning.
3: If you hear the phrase black time, what does that sound like to you?
4: Mm I dunno.
3: Yeah. I'm trying to figure it out too. Black time,
4: black time. Black time black, black, time,
3: black, black. black time, black time, black time, black time, black quap, time, white. black time, black time, black time time, black time, black time, black time, black time. We are trying to conjure colored people's time. Resistance. Resilience. Portal. Self-care. Community care. A world where black people take
2: their time. I think the déjà vu is when the elements have not really clarified themselves. So it's a, it's a, a kind of uneasy feeling, uh, shiver up your back. You know, I'm feeling like I know this, but I don't, you know, but what's happening? And, 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 and so I think for me that déjà vu is, is that. But the slipperiness... Um, I mean, I'm thinking I'm thinking of how um, how we, we 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 process it both here and, and, and in the diaspora and, and, and in Africa at least and, and I'm speaking very generally because Africa is a very uh, complex uh, amalgam of, of people
3: The immensity of the idea of black time starts to swell, and I think of how much I'm trying to channel and explore, and I wonder if I'll ever really understand it, figure it out, know it. Then I flash back to something Dr. Michelle Wright said.
1: But the other thing, of course, I realized is, oh, Nobody really knows what time is. There are a lot of different ways in which it can be represented, which means I don't need to make up some theory about time in order to make all different types of blacknesses fit. Instead, I can simply think about time as simply one moment, the now, the right here, the right now, not the present and we didn't come out of the past and we aren't moving into the future. Instead, all those tenses are right here in this moment
3: and then we're doing it in the now. The deja vu, nine, keen recognition, two, a noticing in the body, a prickling intuition, a mingling, an overlay, second sight, blind spots, six, Repetition, reenactment, recurrence, reckoning, Ten, an inherited shield, an embodied call, tumbling from dreams, 2021, recalling and channeling, four, black dreams and black time in a pandemic, after George Floyd, what could I gather and make this mean? The deja vu marks constellations of positive and negative time. Even as it reckons with black feminist memory, it revels in time travel and leaps.
5: Every morning I have to make sure this is where I'm from. In this moment, I will take whatever design is available. How many rituals done and undone again? A humidity primed for this spectacle, to say partial, how many times have I known the other intimately turn alarm into music? Every day, some kind of orchestral moment.
3: That's Jay Dodd reading from her poem. Every morning I have to make sure this is when I'm from. Jay is a poet and performance artist and the author of the poetry collections, Manish Tongues, and one of my recent faves, The Black Condition, featuring Narcissus. Jay is smart, stylish, funny, and was hyped to talk with me about Black time. Title of this, every morning I have to make sure this is when I'm from. So let's start like this. When are you from?
5: I have to make sure every day, and I don't. I think, I think... I think it's whenever I don't feel present is when I feel bad, because I think that in one hand, I am a firm believer that time is actually more apathetic. Like it can heal, but it can rot. It can do these things that feel fantastic, but it can ignore them completely. And bad festers the same way good blossoms. And so it's like, I think that we put a lot of valence and moralistic value on time because it literally makes us feel better. but It does not care and so it's like time does not care about you know your intention if you are working and manifesting you'll get it but if you're not in sync with time it'll be at the wrong time it'll be after you need it it'll be before you can handle it if anything we can imagine time wanted to do it's it's minding its own goddamn business
3: what is the role of poetry in that and especially for you as a poet how does poetry intersect or not intersect, or help to support, or help to evade some of these experiences of time that you're describing.
5: Poetry for me is usually a marker of time, a time marker of like the language, the body, the the sense that I feel in those presents, um, and then using them as like a personal metric for how far I've come or not from from those places.
3: When we first started talking. Jay talked about relationships between Black time and trans time in her work as a poet and in her life as a Black transgender woman.
5: I've having this new sort of imagination because I was just like, before I decided to transition, I just could not literally imagine myself past 25. Like, I just couldn't, like, on my, if you if you were ever to sit me down and be like, what do you want to be at 30? I was going to be like, will I be at 30? What will I be? Alive? And so, uh, and so um, between the end of college and uh, my transition was really just like a uh, amorphous period of like figuring out what to do with all this time that I didn't ever expect to have or at that point, even really want. First, probably two years of my transition, I would spend hours a day in the mirror, just looking in the mirror, just looking at my face, just like, convincing myself that I was real, like, I, you're here, you're here, you're here. Like, like, And so I uh, haven't needed to look in the mirror to get out of something in so long that I forgot that that was a place that I would go to, to get out of something. My reflection could be a place in time that's probably the place that I come back to most. And I see with my transition and the hormones, like my face changing and my body changing. And so it's like, if I wanted to believe in time, now's the time because I can literally see it, see how time is changing my physical form. This thing that I wanted no part of that not to exist is now, you know, becoming a garden before me. And so um I love that. I love that.
3: So, Jay, when you hear the phrase black time. What do you think of or what does that mean to you?
5: Yeah, when I think of Black time, I think of the rhythms we make to lock in our sentiments and emotions and expressions sort of both outside of time and inside the times we're in. Um, Also, just like the fact that, like, I feel like Black people understand apocalypse different because we are have always been at the end time. We've always been post abduction. We've always been post invasion. We've always been post human. And so I think that if you were sort of born into an after, then what is time to you? And so a lot of people have decided that we're already dead. So every day that we live, we are outside of common time. Um, so yeah, so I think Black time is also um, the, the sort of like resistance of just simple Black being in a time that doesn't want us. And that's built to, to kill us. Um, so, yeah, rhythm, sound, and resistance.
3: Rhythm, sound, and resistance. Rhythm, sound, and resistance. Yes, those are the things I hear too in Black Time and Black poetry across the diaspora. And I heard it too in the voices of everyone I talked to about Black Time and the deja vu the poets and the scholar, the elder and the child and everyone in between. In black time, we are all living memory, making and unmaking history, passing the time, dreaming the future, revisiting the past and transforming it all into the now. Thanks to Rashida Ismaili, Michelle M. Wright, Naima Hinchcliffe, S.C., and her mom, Ellen Marie Hinchcliffe, J. Dodd, and Zeta Elliott. You can find Rashida Ismaili's poem, Harlem Nuances, in her collection, Cantata for Jimmy. You can hear more of Michelle Wright's analysis of epiphenomenal time in physics of blackness beyond the middle passage epistemology. You can read J. Dodd's poem, every morning, I have to make sure this is when I'm from in the Bennington Review, issue eight. The letter to Gabby can be found in my essay written with Zeta Elliott, opening up space for global girls in my book, Experiments in Joy. The lines on black time and the deja vu can be found in sphericity, Wild Beauty and the Deja Vu, all from my forthcoming book, The Deja Vu. These were used with permission from Coffee House Press. The book drops on 22222, February 22nd, 2022. Get involved, people. Get involved. The producer for this episode was Tyree Rush, and it emerged to the Verses Roll Call series of the Poetry Foundation. Thanks and blessings to everyone in the program. See you in Black Futures. Peace.